Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Pastor Jeff. Thank you, Pastor Mary and the whole team here at Community Chapel. It's a joy to be back with you today. It's been a while, and uh, I love this sanctuary. Uh, much more important than the sanctuary, I love this church. I love your pastor. Do you love your pastor? carry him through these days. It is hard. I want to get into a scripture briefly with you today, but before I do that, I'm, I'm just listening to the image behind me of the cross drawn in the ashes. And we've started Lent, and this last Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, Perhaps like many others, perhaps not, but perhaps like me, you came to a place of quietness and dipped your finger in some ashes or you lifted your forehead, I passed to Shelley, to, uh, to another and you received ashes on your forehead. And maybe you had words said to you, maybe you said these words yourself, uh, we are dust and to dust we return. And perhaps you said to yourself, that's only half the story. Sometimes uh, we say to people, repent and believe the gospel. And that sounds like good advice. As some of you know, as well as being uh, a pastor of a church, I'm a, a chaplain in a hospital. And on Ash Wednesday, I had two experiences that I'm holding as I come to you today with my Bible in my hand. One is I visited a, a lady in her mid-80s in an ICU bed, and her daughter was with her and asked me to mark her with ashes. She was on hospice care, and she passed away later that day. And I knelt with her uh, almost nose-to-nose, and I marked her with ashes, and she looked at me. She wasn't capable of speaking at that time. And I said, we are dust, and to dust we shall return. And then I said, all life belongs to God. God has sent you into this world, and your life returns to him. I'm hoping that was meaningful for her. It's at times like that we just have to speak the truth to each other. <laughs> and then later in the evening in my own church, uh, two little girls, I think one three and one four, skipped up the aisle hand in hand to receive ashes with their mom. They had no clue what was going on. They just thought it was fun. And it was. And I marked them with ashes and I said, you belong to Jesus. Trust in him. I don't know if they knew what I was talking about either. But they belong to God just the same. So as we enter Lent, whether we come as old or young, uh, may we come simply to God. Lent is a time of simplification. And it can be a time of joy. My scripture today is the temptation of Jesus. It's found in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 4. Uh, 
starts at verse 1 and runs through to verse 11. I have my Bible, so I will read it for you. But I'm going to just hop back one verse uh, to chapter 3, verse 17, and I'm just going to loop that, that verse into my Scripture. Hear the word of the Lord. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil and fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry. The tempter said to him, came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. The word of the Lord. So what's going on? What's going on in this scripture? What did you notice? Here's Jesus on a spiritual high. He's just been baptized. He comes up from the waters. And the voice of God the Father Almighty covers him more than any waters ever did and said three great truths. Great truth number one. This is my son. Great truth number two. Whom I love. Great truth number three. With him I'm well pleased. It's kind of the same truth said in three ways, I suppose. So how odd that Jesus goes from that spiritual high and is pushed by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Has anyone here ever experienced when things are just going great with God and that's when all kinds of troubles come? That's when things go wrong. It's just when you're cruising <laughs> and things are blissful that we need to perhaps be ready, not to take away from your joy if things are going well, but just be ready. It's also telling that it's right after this that Jesus then starts his public ministry. 
So here's a transition period between having great truth spoken over him and then stepping out on the basis of that truth into ministry. And Jesus first needs to go through something called the wilderness temptation. Last summer, Linda and I had the great privilege for the first time in our lives to go to uh, the Holy Land, or as I am now preferring to call it, the Land of the Holy One, because I've got to tell you, there's not much holy about that land right now. But it's made holy by the Jesus who walked there. So the Land of the Holy One. And in our air-conditioned motor coach, we drove through the wilderness on a two-lane highway. And then, like all good tourists, we got off and spent two hours under the sun before climbing back into our air-conditioned motorhome. And those two hours were extraordinary. First of all, I can tell you, that land is harsh. It's like the badlands of Israel. It It is mean, it is steep, it is dry as a bone, It is crisscrossed by ravines. The sun bakes down in it. There's no trees. There's not even grass. There's no scrubs. It's just broken stones. You can put your hand on the ground and touch five shattered flints. You could not walk on that land in bare feet. Your feet would be cut to ribbons by the stone-shattered flints that lie, the sun-shattered flints that lie all over. It's horrible. It's a tough place to be. Goats and donkeys live there, and the Bedouin. And they're tough people, let me tell you. It's a harsh landscape. I would imagine if I was there for more than a couple of hours, it would be a simplifying landscape. Doesn't matter how great or how clever you are, you need to find shade, and you need to find water. And if you found some in the bottom of a ravine, it would be relief for two or three hours until the sun shifted around and you'd have to go scurrying to find some other place of shade. It's a tough landscape. Matthew, of course, is telling us that Jesus is the new and the better than Moses. And he's telling us that Jesus is the new and the better than Elijah. Those two characters are going to appear in the transfiguration scene later in the story. You remember Moses spent how long on top of the mountain getting the commandments? 40 days. And how long did Elijah fast uh, before going up Mount Horeb? 40 days. So there's some echoes here that the, the first readers would have understood. Ah, I know what's going on. These three, these three temptations have been analyzed in so many different ways. But I just, here as I was reading them again this year, they struck me new. I was trying to work out what they meant for Jesus and what they meant for us. And so the devil comes to him and says, if you are the son of God. What did, what did God the Father just get through saying to him? This is my son. And the devil says, aha, uh-huh, I want to check on that statement. Want to verify that? Are you sure? Do you want to authenticate that with me? Jesus says, no thanks. Question for you. Do you believe what God has said about you? Do you need to be reminded what God has said about you? God has said about you and me, number one, I see you. Number two, 
You belong to me. Number three, I love you just as you are. We sing about these things all the time. We sang about them this morning. Then God says, let me wash you clean. Inside first, outside later. Then he says, let me breathe my spirit into you so that your life and my life are now inextricably connected. Holy Spirit from me, in you, around you. Then he says, it's not just you individually. I'm making a new community, the church, and the Holy Spirit's going to live through all the relationships, all the complicatedness of what it is to be church, all that organic messiness of trying to live this Christian life together. I'm in it with you. Jesus says, I am never going to leave you, ever. I am never going to forsake you. Your God is 100% present and 100% trustworthy and 100% true, and he's 100% got everything that you're dealing with in your life. That's what God has said about you, and that's just what comes to mind this morning. There's a lot more than that. Can I get an amen? Have you found those things to be true in your life? Hold on to them. Grip onto that truth with one hand, sure. The other hand's going to come in soon. Then the devil comes to him and says, "Uh uh-huh. So the second thing that God says to you is, whom I love. This is my son, whom I love. Christian, do you really believe that God loves you today? I mean, I know you know it as an intellectual truth. I know you've grasped it as a general concept. But I'm saying, do you know it here in the center of your belly? Do you know it in the bottom of your feet? Do you really know that God loves you? I hope you can say yes to that. But... Let me ask this question, and don't speak out loud. This is just between you and the Holy Spirit. When you're at your lowest point, when you doubt yourself, do you still know there that God loves you? When life is kicking you around, when you've been let go from your job, when you've been jilted in love, when you've been deserted by faithful friends, when things you used to trust in crumble, do you still know that God loves you? I know that Jesus was God and he was divine, and sometimes I have to remind myself he was also a person born into human flesh, had to grow up and make all of those growing up difficult things. Disappointed his mom on at least one occasion we hear about. Probably more. It wasn't sin, it was just growing up. Scripture says he grew in wisdom and in stature. That means at one time he wasn't all grown up in wisdom and in stature. I think God the human 
in Jesus Christ was being trialed and simplified in the crucible of that wilderness heat. He was divine. He was God, but he was in human form. What I'm saying is, this temptation sought to have Jesus reduced to his non-negotiable core values. This was Jesus being tested down to his roots, down to his anchor points. God says you're his son. Is that an anchor for you, Jesus? God says he loves you. Do you utterly believe it beyond any need to test or trial it? Do you believe that God has your best, your best in view? Well, the devil didn't get too much success, so he comes at him a third time. And of course, <laughs> this is where the devil was really wanting to go. Can he knock Jesus off mission? Can he force Jesus into the shortcut? Jesus knows that he's going to break all the powers of sin, shame, and death, and triumph, and that all the world will belong to him. But yet, in a little while in this church age, the devil is still around. So Jesus is laser-focused on the cross. He's laser-focused on the empty tomb. That is why Jesus came to earth to do three things. Number one, to illustrate for us, example for us, to reveal to us who God truly is. Number two, to die, to break the power of death over his beloved children, you and me. And that means he had to clear off the table everything that stood between us and God, all the sin, all the shame that would get in the way. And number three, he was going to prove to us that we had everlasting life by bursting from the empty tomb. This was his mission. He was laser-focused on it. Nothing is going to knock him off it. No crown of thorns, no brutal cross, no political uh, uh, reworking of his narrative, no name-calling and mislabeling. So, Jesus, would you just like a shortcut to all that? I've got it right here. Look at it. It's shiny and glorious. Take it from me. Jesus says, no. I don't belong to you, Satan. I belong to God. I worship him only. This was Jesus' non-negotiable anchor points, resisting every pressure to divert him from his life's purpose. So what has all this got to do with us this morning? So here's my gentle challenge to you from Scripture. Number one, do you know who you are? To the point that if I was to invite you into a Lenten exercise, starting today and for the remaining 40 days of Lent, would you be able to write down in your journal, this is what God says about me, and I utterly believe it to be true, dot, dot, dot. Could you write down three or four bullet points? 
Can you? Do you know them to be absolutely anchor point, non-negotiable truths about you, your core values? Number two, do you trust God to care for you, to provide everything that you need through the good times, through the bad times? How has that been tested in your life? How is it being tested now? Oh my gosh, we've been through some stuff the last three years, haven't we? And we're just coming out of it reimagined and renewed. Oh, my favorite line in Scripture is where God says in the book of Revelation, Behold, I am making all things new. Oh God, that works for me. How about you? I need God to make me new a little bit. How about you? When I'm tired and weary, does God need to make you new? When you're ground down and depleted a little bit, does God need to make you new? When things are not going so well in your household and in your family, does God need to make you new? How about our nation, if we think on the macro level, and all of our division and polarization, does God need to make us new? How about this old world riven by earthquakes and wars and massive inequities? Does God need to make us new? Oh, come soon, Lord Jesus. This afternoon would be good for me. How about you? Just about now, Lord. But yet we are here a little while. Third challenge. Do you believe what God says about you? Do you trust him in the good times and the bad really deeply? And number three, why are you even here? If you could write down in one sentence, my life's purpose is dot, dot, dot. Could you complete the sentence? Now, this is your calling. Do you know that you're called? Every single one of you is a minister of the gospel. Can I get an amen? Do you know God has a specific plan for you? Yes, there's the big plan, of course. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the great two commandments. But within that macro message, what is the specific walk that God has given you? Has he called you to be light in dark places? Has he called you to be kind in the harsh places? Has he called you to be generous in the impoverished places? And I'm not talking about just money. That's the least of all the currencies. Has he, has he given you people to love? In the Church of the Nazarene, we talk about our responsibility list. Who is your personal responsibility list? Who is God calling you to invest in? Whose life needs to hear the life-giving words of Jesus in your life? What is your spiritual goal for the next 12 months? Wait, you're supposed to have a spiritual goal? Why not? You're growing, aren't you? Could you write down what your spiritual goal is for the next, well, 40 days? Why not set yourself a spiritual goal? Why not take it prayerfully to God and say, God, where am I growing? 
Help me see it. Help me join you in what you're already doing in my life. This is your life purpose. I'm sorry, am I going on a bit long here? I'll bring it to a conclusion. I have no fireworks for you today. I have no home run of a sermon. I have a simple message at the beginning of Lent. What are your anchor points? What are your core values? What are your non-negotiables that you will live for and die for? And can you write them down? I do believe that unless you've written them down, you don't know what they are. So a Lenten practice I invite you to for this first week in Lent, a simple journaling practice, if you will. Write down those three things. This is what I believe God believes about me. From my own life, it has taken me a lot of years to really begin to believe that I please God. Perhaps like me, you've carried a sense of being less than, this inherited shame of never quite living up to other people's standards. Perhaps you don't fully believe when God smiles over you and says, I delight in you and you belong to me. In our psalm this morning, what a beautiful psalm and so well read. Are songs of life being sung around you? Do you hear God's delight over you? May it be so. May you know you belong to him. May you know he delights in you. May you know he's got you at your worst and at your best and will carry you in and through it all. And may you know that he has given you a vital role to play in making all things new. May it be so.